0: But I have never been scared of debt because when you use debt in a good way, I think that's, you know, there's there's good debt and there's bad debt. And uh, I always say that bad debt are on items that depreciate, those that go down in value. So, you know, if you take out a car loan, for example, that's bad debt because the, the car loan goes down, the car goes down in value. Uh, that, so it's not so good taking a loan out in the car. So these days when I buy a car, I, I pay cash for the car, for example. Uh, when you're buying property and you're taking a loan out of it, the property is actually going to appreciate in value.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires in Vilk Podcast. This is episode number 162. Clark, how's it going? How was your Thanksgiving? Good. What about you? Everything good? Yeah, it's pretty good. You enjoy some turkey? Yeah. I was just we were just talking before. We came across
2: this article on Kiplinger, I think Kiplinger this is. It says, Good news, Thanksgiving dinner is the cheapest it was in ten years. So Thanksgiving a few days ago here, but pretty interesting. It says the average Thanksgiving price, and this runs, I would think, a little low, it sounds, but it says about $47 for 10 people which includes a couple of pies, turkeys, rolls, vegetables. Anyway, scrolling down here, it just says turkeys are available for $1. twenty-one, a pound 7%, down 7% down from last year. Whipped cream potatoes are 31
1: and 34 cents cheaper. So cheaper
2: Thanksgiving, huh? Maybe we should do it more often.
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting, I guess, with the way the year has been. I guess that's one little bright side that, you know, with as much economic uncertainty and all sorts of things going on in the world, a little bright side that we had a little bit cheaper Thanksgiving. You know, a lot of people probably didn't travel <laughs> like they were planning to and whatnot, but uh, you know at least they got a break on the turkey this year. Definitely yeah, didn't feel that, but I always get brisket. That's part of my Thanksgiving here in Texas. You doing turkey at all? We do turkey, but brisket's kind of my thing. So this year, brisket and turkey, and this year, in fact... Uh, we just decided that we weren't having a family or anything, so it was just going to be us. And, and we just basically decided that, you know what, we're not going to spend all this time in the kitchen. I really am not a big fan of of, of spending a lot of the a lot of the holiday in the kitchen trying to get food prepared and whatnot. Rather, just kind of spend it together and 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 buy the food. So I, I went and bought me a brisket from Franklin Barbecue here in, in in Austin, Texas, and then I also got a turkey from this year, which was phenomenal. And then we basically chomp on it, you know, for almost a week after. It's great. So how was last week on the show? We had you kind of weird going back and listening to it. Yeah, it's a little bit weird, you know, but it's it's good. I'm glad I'm glad we did it. And, uh, you know, that we'll see, I mean, obviously, you know, the story will continue to evolve over the years and I'm sure I'll learn more from others and the millionaires we've, you know, we continue to have and have had on the show and maybe adjust some of my own mindset and things and continue to grow. And so, you know, we do it now it'll be interesting to look back in five or 10 years and, and, and maybe do another one or maybe do another one every couple of years. I don't know. We'll see. But was it weird for you going through and editing us, the uh, two of us together? Yeah, I don't, it's, it's
2: just different, right? I mean, I think people liked it. It was fun to hear. It was fun to listen to kind of a different perspective. So, but yeah, I mean, you listen to yourself on your, I mean, each week you listen to it, you're like, oh, you know, it's kind of weird listening to your own voice. Hearing yourself speak, so in that sense it is. But I don't know. I mean, you
1: were you were doing more of the talking because you were the one being interviewed. Yeah, totally. I was glad my wife piped in there for a little bit. She yeah, uh, yeah. she had some good some good nuggets, and yeah, that was yeah, fun. kept me kept me on my toes for sure, which she always does anyway. So on today's show, we have Lloyd. He's a former teacher turned real estate investor. Lives in Australia. He's got a net worth of over ten million dollars, and that's USD. We talk a little bit about his net worth and and in, in relation to the Australian dollar. And just for our listeners, one Australian dollar is about 73 cents in the United States. That's basically as of mid, mid-November. mid So, you know, one dollar of ours is worth $1.37 in, in Australia. So, just trying to paint that picture for you all a little bit better. Sometimes when we bring some of these millionaires on, you know, that, that are from foreign countries, it, we usually are talking in their currency, And in this case, we're talking in Australian currency, but nonetheless, he has a $10 million net worth USD, uh, which is 13 million plus in in, in Australia and and potentially well over that. So great interview with him. We talk about his journey and becoming a real estate, how he had a mindset shift from being a teacher and and deciding to invest in real estate. Appreciate y'all turning into the podcast week after week. If you enjoy the show, we would appreciate you leaving a five-star review on either iTunes or Stitcher helps us grow the show and continue to reach new millionaire interviewees. Also, if you're interested in real estate deals, we've got several opportunities coming up here, multifamily and and commercial as well. Reach out to us. We'll get on a call and uh, get you some more information on that. So without any further delay, let's jump into the episode with Lloyd. Lloyd, you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to now? Yeah, hi
0: guys. Uh, so in my background originally, I was I was a teacher, uh, and uh, and you know over the years I got into property, and uh, now now I do property full time. I've got a large uh, property portfolio. I work uh, in a business as a buyer's agent and a uh, property developer as well.
1: Wow, I want to get into your story a little bit here, but what's your net worth sitting at today?
0: i uh, so um, sitting at around about twelve to thirteen million. Wow,
2: that's awesome. Congrats. How did is that AUS is, is that AUS or USD, sorry?
1: Uh that that will be AUS. Okay. And and how did you, you you mentioned you started as a teacher. How did you make that transition to to being into real estate and property?
0: Yeah, so the way that started is I realized uh you know quite early, on probably not as early as I should have, but I realized that I wasn't going to make a lot of money, um, as a teacher and have enough money for retirement. So I, I didn't want to live on the, on the pension or, um, or in any of the government benefits because they wouldn't be enough. Um, I realized I needed to actually, um, you know, do better for myself. So I started to get into investing, uh, that way, um, just to set up, um, some more financial security, uh, for the future. So it kind of went from there and I grew a real passion for property and I was having, uh, you know, quite a bit. Bit of success through it, uh, and then uh, over the years, my my strategies changed as well from the types of properties I was buying, uh, and uh, and to you know to I guess you know initially buying properties and sort of holding and waiting for that growth, uh, to what I then started doing was uh, you know developing properties and and manufacturing that equity and and flipping properties and and you know, making faster returns.
1: And how old were you when you started that? So um, I would have been in about my mid
0: twenties at the time, so around about twenty years ago.
1: Wow, and all of your net worth is in real estate now.
0: Uh, it is. It is in real estate. Absolutely, yep. So I'm um, both in the in the business I operate and in my uh, property portfolio.
1: And is it mainly single family homes, condos, multi family? What's what's kind of the breakup? Uh, so um, mo- most of
0: uh, what we do uh, are in um, like. Yeah, duplexes. So, you know, that, that kind of thing. So, um, and there's a few sort of a, apartments and, you know, single family, um, homes in there as well. Um, part of my net worth is obviously my, uh, my primary residence as well.
1: That's pretty phenomenal. So you've, how many duplexes roughly do you have then? I've currently got
0: probably um, probably six to eight duplexes in my portfolio at the moment, um, two two units in each duplex, um, which um, and they're all cash flow positive, so they pay pay a nice return as well. Um that's mixed up with a few um, single dwelling houses and also some uh, townhouses uh, and villas uh, which are essentially halfway between a house um, and, a, and an apartment, I guess.
1: Wow, that's pretty awesome. And are all of these pretty close to where you're located or where your primary residence is? No, not exactly.
0: Uh, I, I believe in diversifying. So I, I've actually got them all down the the east coast, the eastern seaboard of Australia. So um, I'm, I'm located in Sydney, so I do have properties in Sydney, but I also invest um, up in Brisbane, uh, down in Melbourne, and also in some uh, country areas uh, in between I uh, sort of up the north coast, uh, down the south coast. Uh, as well, some of the areas outside of Sydney um, pay better rental yields, uh, but the areas inside Sydney, you get that better long-term capital growth. So I, I balance the portfolio um, with, with different types of strategies in different areas.
2: So Lloyd, what do you do for for managing the units? Do you manage them all and just drive around or do you hire somebody else to take care of all that for you? Yeah, that's a
0: great question because uh, I don't manage them myself. I'm a big believer that you need to actually appoint someone to do that. So I, I have property managers uh, and I pay them a percentage of the rental income that comes in uh, but the property managers are located in the areas uh, where, uh, where my properties are. The benefits of having a property manager is they collect the rent uh, and then, uh, you know, pay that to me, but they also, uh, you know, pay the bills on my behalf and they organize repairs. So if I'm in Sydney and then I've got, you know, a property in Melbourne, which is a thousand kilometers away, then I, um, yeah, I can't really get there to attend to repairs. So it's important to have someone on site who can actually be there to uh, to attend to that kind of stuff and look after the, the tenants that are in the property.
2: Right. What do they charge for, just curious in Australia, for property management fees in the US here? It's, I don't know, 8 to 12% or something usually, but what is it there?
0: Yeah, so it varies. So in Sydney, you're looking at around about between four and a half to five and a half percent. Uh, in, uh, in Brisbane, it's around about eight to 10 percent. Uh, and, uh, in Melbourne, it's kind of around about six to eight percent. So it varies a little bit. But if you're paying up to about anywhere, if you're paying about nine percent anywhere, then that's, that's too high generally in Australia. Gotcha.
2: Gotcha. Okay. So let's back it up here, Lloyd. You, you started as a school teacher, right? What, what was your salary when you started working as a school teacher?
0: Yeah, so I was earning uh less than fifty thousand um a year at the time, AUS. So that's um that's yeah, not not a lot of money essentially, and um yeah, barely enough to start start investing, but uh but that's what I was on on at the time and yeah, I, I really need to do something to try to um, to you know move forward from there.
2: Yeah, so fifty thousand just for our listeners, AUS is about thirty five thousand USD. So that means your net worth is about ten to twenty million USD. So you're making 35 US 58 US how do you, how do you even start investing on that were you just saving a lot and living frugally and just little by little you were starting to save
0: Absolutely yes I was uh, I was living very frugally so I had a few things in in place. So, for example, I'd never bought a new car uh, until after I bought my first property. I'd never even been overseas, so I saved money. I didn't didn't spend money on overseas holidays. Uh, you know, I saved my money. Didn't didn't go out. Even back in the days when I was at uni- university, I didn't have a lot of money. I couldn't even afford to eat. You know, my meals and stuff uh, often was just eating sort of you know toast or ice cream cones for lunch. So I hadn't had not much money back then. But when I started um, yeah teaching, I was just saving my money and I got together a deposit. Uh, which is essentially, you know, 10% of what I needed for my first property. So I I essentially saved up about $25,000, um, out of my salary and that went towards, uh, a deposit of my first property. I managed to find a good mortgage broker who helped me get a loan for that uh, first property, uh, which wasn't easy on a on a low income. Uh, but that's what got me going. And then it was a matter of picking the right properties that were going to get growth over the years because when the properties grow in value, I can leverage off them. And that's why property is such a good asset because I, I leveraged off the growth and was able to then borrow more funds to buy more properties and start growing my portfolio from
2: there. So you, you said you saved up about... down payment, usually in the US, unless it's an FHA loan, you need about 20%, so a little bit lower there, uh, unless you lived in it, or did you rent it out, this first purchase?
0: So the first purchase I actually lived in uh, at the start, absolutely. Uh, And uh, yeah, over here, we generally, uh, we used to be able to even get loans from only a 5% down payment. Um, These days, it's still possible to get loans for a 10% down payment. Uh, more often than not, you do need about 20% these days simply because the banks have tightened things up because of some of the uh, issues in the current climate. But right. generally, yeah, uh, you, can, you can get uh, just a 10% down payment and that gets you into a property.
2: Yeah, gotcha. So, okay, 20, $25,000, let us call it $250,000 property, right? 10%. How long did it take you to save up that
0: 25000 Yeah, so um, that, that uh, probably took me about three or four years of good saving there, but living very frugally, uh, paying not much rent. I was, I was living in a, a property, where, uh, you know, a rental property where I wasn't paying much rent and things like that. Living very frugally and things like that, so um, you know, saved saved a bit uh, as hard as I could over that time.
2: Gotcha. And so, why real estate? Did did you know somebody that did real estate? You call it property down there, but what your parents, your family, a friend? Why did you decide real estate? Was the way to go? I guess is the first question, and then the second question: How did you find this first deal? Was it something that you found through online? Did you find it through a broker or a friend? How did you find the deal?
0: Yeah. So in terms of uh, why real estate, um, for me, and I never had any real estate in in our family. My parents always just owned their, the family home and didn't have any, you know, any other assets like that. Um, but for me, um, I always found real estate to be, um quite a solid, uh, less volatile asset, uh, so it doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't swing, I guess, as much in value as, say, uh, the stock market does. So, you, you know, if, if you've got a good, a good value, good, a good property, good real estate in good area, it's not going to go down uh, massively in value overnight like the stock market can, depending on what the economy is doing. So, for me, I felt it was um, less volatile and, and good for the long term. It takes longer to buy, longer to sell, so there's a lot of things there. And I, and I, I figured that people always need somewhere to live, so real estate, to me, Um, is always going to be a good investment uh, as long as you're buying in an area where people do want to live. So the first property I found, uh, yes, that was uh, something that I found online uh, and it was a, a new property that had just been built. Uh, but it was in a uh, a target sort of the suburb that I uh, kind of wanted to live. It was reasonably close to the water, but it was also close to uh, some amenities like a train station, uh, some shops, and things like that. So I knew that that uh, would also make a good investment property later on when I decided to move out and actually um, get some rental tenants in there.
2: Nice, nice, good for you. And so that was the that was a duplex, right? No, that was just an apartment. So the first one was okay. just apartment. How many total units are you at now if you count the duplexes as two each, right? How many total apartments or units or homes? So,
0: yeah, we're, we're looking at about uh, 20 altogether.
2: 20 altogether. Wow. Wow, good for you. So in terms of numbers, y- you said you use leverage, right? How, how levered are they?
0: So these days they're actually not that. Not that leverage, but at the time when I was growing my portfolio, uh, I would use the leverage of of 80 to 90%, which means I could get another loan for 90%. I just put a 10% down payment. Um, but often that, that 10% down payment would actually come from the previous property that had grown in value. So I could just um, use that as collateral. That would be a 10% deposit to buy the next property. And that's how I'd, I'd grow that. Um, over the years, though, uh, especially when I got into developing, because with, with my duplexes, for example, I didn't um, just buy a duplex. There. That's when I uh, started developing duplexes. So you're actually um, manufacturing um, equity and profits there. And when you get large chunks of profits there, you pay down your debt a lot uh, quicker. So now, you know, my portfolio value has a, a leverage of only about 40%. So it's essentially um, 60% equity in there and only about 40% in, in loans.
2: So, are, how come you keep it that way? You're just living off the cash flow now, and and that's the way you like it, and and just more safety.
0: Yeah, so I like the um uh, th- that obviously does provide more safety. Uh, living off the cash flow, uh, with that because they are uh, cash flow positive. Um, and then still, um, know, yeah, because they've got more cash flow with it, that allows me then to buy more properties and not have them so highly leveraged. So the last property I bought, for example, uh, I only had a 50% loan so I still took out a loan for it but it was only a, um, a small loan and that, and that one uh, was actually a property I bought earlier this year which is another unit which I actually bought for my 14-month-old son. Who, um, so he's, oh, I, wow. like to, I like to joke and call him the, young, the youngest property investor. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, congratulations. So so these 20-something units, how much how much do they cash flow? Do they, I assume they all cash flow. You said all your duplexes did, right? Your six to eight duplexes. What about everything else? Are they all cash flow and, and how much monthly?
0: Yeah, so they all cash flow. Uh, and um, yearly um, on, per annum, um, they're bringing about $250,000 um, per annum in terms of,
2: of cash flow there. Wow, that's fantastic. So that's what you're living off of now, obviously.
0: And that's part of what I'm living off because I also have my business as well. So the business itself obviously has a um a large uh, a large amount of cash flow that's coming in as well.
2: Okay, so two hundred and fifty thousand divided by the twenty two units is about eleven thousand dollars a month in cash flow. What does one typically rent for, Lloyd? Uh, so it
0: it depends on the on the area and everything, of course. so generally they uh, you know they can rent for anywhere between uh, you know six hundred a week to uh, to two thousand a week uh, depending on the um the location of them uh, because uh, you know some of the ones that are in Sydney and they they're close to the water, then yeah, they're very highly sought after uh, and they they rent for you know high cash flow. Um, some of the ones that are um, in a, maybe a little bit further out you know in a country area, uh, they cost a bit less, but they they also rent for less. And they, they they may rent for four or five hundred um, and things like that.
2: Wow! So you have a couple in Sydney that rent for eight thousand dollars a month. Yeah.
0: So yeah, it's quite a, quite a balance there. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Are those vacation rentals or long t- more long term?
0: Uh, no, they're long term. I, li- I like to look at long term um, with with everything I do.
2: Gotcha. Understood. So one question, Lloyd. When you only put down ten percent, there, just curious, you still have enough to cash flow? You still you still collect enough rent to cover that debt service?
0: Yeah, that's right, because they weren't always cash flow positive. So I've got a cash flow positive uh, portfolio now that has a lot of uh, net rent return now. But when I first, you know, when I was growing the portfolio, there was more debt attached to it. So a lot of the rent that was coming in would be going off to pay off the loans. So therefore, I wasn't that much... Um, uh, uh, disposable income that I could live off at the time. So wh- while I was growing the portfolio, I was actually still, you know, working as a teacher at the time and things like that. So I had my teaching income, and then I was growing the portfolio as my future goal because I knew my future goal would be to to live off property and to have a property business and stuff like that. Uh, so so the cash flow positive position they're in now isn't the way they were originally. So I've grown it like that over the uh, past number of years.
2: Yeah, fair enough. And and looking back now, right, having the, all these rentals and having the 250000 of of passive cash flow from the rentals every year, are you glad you used debt? Do you, you wish you would have used less? Or on the flip side, do you wish you would have been even more aggressive with debt?
0: Uh, I'm quite comfortable. I, I don't wish I, I would have used more necessarily. Um, But I have never been scared of debt because when you Use debt in a good way. I think that's, you know, there's, there's good debt and there's bad debt. And, uh, I always say that bad debt are on items that depreciate those that go down in value. So, you know, if you take out a car loan, for example, that's bad debt because the, the car loan goes down, the car goes down in value. Uh, that's, so it's not so good taking a loan out in the car. So these days when I buy a car, I pay cash for the car, for example. Um, when you're buying, uh, when you're buying property and you're taking a loan out of it, the property is actually going to appreciate in value. So, Taking um, that debt is actually a really good thing, and that and that's how you get it get ahead because you you really do need to use debt to be able to get ahead. And and uh, I think most wealthy people in the world have been able to get ahead by actually using debt to their advantage.
2: Yeah, certainly, and and certainly the the real estate and, and and the small business investors that we've had on our show, I think we've interviewed about 150, 160 millionaires now. Most of them, if if they're in real estate, right, have used debt. I think there's maybe been a couple that have not. But certainly anybody that we've interviewed, Jayce, correct me if I'm wrong, in real estate has used debt to keep it going.
0: You kind of need to, because uh, real estate is... It's so costly, uh, obviously depending on the location that most people don't really have cash to buy a large amount of real estate in one go. So they need to actually use debt to get to, to you know, to buy the property in the, in the first place. And that's why you sort of need debt. Uh, maybe when you, you're buying shares and things, you can start with a lower uh, amount of money and just put a, a bit of cash into it. But when you're buying real estate that may cost you seven, several hundreds of thousands of dollars at a time, you kind of need that debt to, uh, to actually get on the property ladder.
2: Right, right. So, how long did it take you, Lloyd, to build up this portfolio? And and did it start off slow at first? Was it discouraging, or how quickly were you able to build this up?
0: Uh, so, uh, all in all, it, it's probably it probably took me about um, sixteen, seventeen years. Uh, however, the first few years were a bit slow. Uh, I wouldn't say it was discouraging, but I didn't have uh, a real strategy or a plan in place. So, I was buying properties, and they were. Uh, you know, I was buying them and just holding them for growth. And then, you know, when I if the properties weren't going up in value because I bought them at the wrong time of the cycle, or the market just wasn't moving because it was a bit flat, uh, I felt like I had some debt, um, but not a lot of uh, not a lot of cash flow or growth coming into the property. So I changed my strategy a few years later uh, when I started to actually uh, develop uh, the duplexes, uh, and that allowed me to move a lot quicker because when you buy a property and just hold it for growth, you're relying on Uh, you know, whether it's going to increase in seven or 10% in value in the year or something like that. And that's a a slow strategy. When I started developing duplexes, you you essentially, you build the property, you have it subdivided into two properties, and then you can make two or $300,000 profit just, uh, you know, just like that from, from the development process. Uh, and that's what really started to get me going. So the back end, uh, the back few years that I've been doing this, I've been able to move things a lot quicker than when I first started out.
2: Okay, I want I want to dive into that, but for because that's obviously interesting and I think unique. But first, I'm just curious, and I think, I mean, if I'm remembering correctly, of of the real estate investors we've had on the show, I think you probably have one of the most diversified asset classes in the in the sense of in, in real estate, in the sense of having prime Sydney rentals, right? That rent for eight thousand dollars a month, versus something that's out in the countryside, right? So. How do you decide where to buy and, and do you ever get nervous if you're buying outside of a popular area that maybe the area will, will worsen and your property won't go up in value or or do you just look for good deals regardless of, of where they are?
0: Uh, so, yeah, that's a really good question. So when I'm buying outside of a capital city, so outside of Sydney, outside of Melbourne, there's a few things that are really important that are on my checklist. So I've ne- I need to buy an area that has several industries of growth. Uh, and, and several drivers. And what, what I mean by that is that it means that it needs to be the economy needs to be driven by, let's say, there needs to be manufacturing, there needs to be education, you know, a, you know university, a hospital. Um, there should be lots of um, amenities, lots of transport links, all of those. And you can have those in good regional centres. So I'm not buying in, in, you know, really outback towns in the middle of nowhere. Uh, these are still major cities. Uh, they're just not the capitals. So they might be a couple of hours away from a capital, but they're still good, uh, good centres. Often those areas, you know, the properties are a bit cheaper, and in comparison, the rental yields are a little bit higher. Because when you're buying in Sydney, the price points are very high, uh, and there's generally a limit of how many you can actually buy in, you know, in Sydney, you know, before you sort of get maxed out. So you need to balance that up by buying some cheaper ones elsewhere. Uh, and things like that. So that's how I diversify and work that out. Uh, it's also important to buy in different areas. If you have all your eggs in one basket and the market doesn't do very well, then all your properties don't do very well because they're all in the same spot. I believe in actually buying them in different locations so that if one location doesn't do so well, then, uh, you know, other, other locations should. And we might be seeing that at the moment with, we've got a bit of a problem in in Melbourne at the moment with the coronavirus, and um, the economy may not do so well there at the moment, but, you know, Sydney and Brisbane are actually doing quite well. So it's good to diversify, you know, for reasons like that.
1: So, Lloyd, you built up this great portfolio. Where do you go from here? Do you have a target net worth you're trying to hit or number of units or amount of passive cash flow?
0: No, not really. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with where uh, part part of the part of the goal was, uh, you know, to buy our dream home, uh, which I uh, did a couple of years ago. Uh, so that was um, – you know that was kind of part of the uh, part of the equation there. So so it's all about uh, I guess leaving a leaving a legacy and and setting up our our families so that you know we don't need to sort of worry about finances. It means that uh, you know I can spend uh, you know I've got good available time that um, you know freedom because uh, financial freedom uh, for me means also. Um, time, like lifestyle freedom that I can spend time with my family when I want and and things like that. And, uh, you know, we can, um, go out on the boat whenever we want and that kind of stuff. And then also, uh, you know, when my, when my kids go to school, I can just, you know, sort of pay their, pay their school fees and not worry about where the money's coming from. So that's kind of what I've set the, the portfolio up for. Uh, in terms of what I'm looking, um, you know, Moving ahead is is in terms of uh, what I'm doing in, in my business and uh, and my goal is to actually help people in less fortunate situations than um yeah than myself and that's that's something that we can dive into a little bit later on if you like as well.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's great. You mentioned that that you want to be able to have more time with your family and and a lot of our millionaires that come on talk about that and talk about the value of their time as it relates to their finances. What are some of the things that you like to spend your time doing when you're not focused on work or focused on on managing your rentals or your portfolio at all? Yeah, I mean,
0: for for me, these are quite really like really little basic things. But I, I love just going out for breakfast, going out for coffee with with my wife and my son, uh, taking the dog for a walk, uh, going out on the boat. You know, those, those kind of things are just really nice to do. Just just catching up with friends um th- those things i just uh, i love being able to do but but you know not having to restrict them to the to the weekends but being able to do those kind of things during uh, you know during the days during the uh the weekdays as well because you know i'm not tied down to a, a nine to five teaching job like i once was uh know, yeah, that's all uh, that's good so i've got the time to be able to do things like that
1: yeah and you mentioned going out on the boat do you have a yacht or wh- what what do you like going out on the boat with i do go sailing
0: uh as oh, well there you go. But I,
1: okay but
0: i um I don't have a, I I don't, I'm part of a sailing club. I don't own it. I don't own a sailing yacht. Um, some of my friends do, so I'll go out there, but I own a power boat. So, um, so my boat's a a power boat, which is a uh, sort of a 29 footer, um, boat takes about 10 to 12 people. So enough, enough to take a few friends on. And we, we we like to go out and, you know, have a bit of a good time, have a few drinks and go sunbaking and all that. So that's all, that's all nice.
1: That's awesome. Did you, did you buy that after you became a millionaire or before? Yeah. And I only bought that one last year. Oh, wow. So, you're but definitely definitely well into the millions before you bought that toy. Yeah,
0: that was uh, – I think that was
1: one of my rewards. Actually, <laughs> I thought, should, should go.
0: Because when we bought our dream home, that, that's a waterfront um, property. And I, um, then I thought, okay, now just, we need to have a boat to park out the front as well. So, you
1: know, so all
0: <laughs> that, that come together.
1: There you go. So, you mentioned that, that you want to help some uh, underprivileged people that didn't have the opportunities that maybe you have had. What does that consist of and, and what's your mission with that going forward?
0: uh so my mission with that is actually helping people in uh disadvantaged countries such as africa and nepal uh helping them maybe maybe um with some education maybe even building some uh some houses some schools and stuff over there so i'd like to do that sort of thing on a, on a bigger picture uh at the moment I, I donate a lot of money to sort of charities in australia so we had some really bad bushfires over here during our our summer, and um, I did do donate a, a, a fair bit of our um, business income over January and February to the, the bushfire fundraising appeal. Um, I also donate to the Cancer Council, uh, which is a which is close to my heart because my dad passed away from cancer so i, I, I donate to those sort of things wanted to sort of I guess help help uh, on a bigger scale and I think having a having a business that generates good income and 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 then having a property portfolio that allows me the time to be able to do things like that uh, means that I can actually go and uh, and and help people that are in less fortunate situations than myself
2: yeah yeah very commendable Do, do your friends and family Lloyd know of your wealth or is it pretty private
0: uh, I think they, no, they do. Well, I don't really discuss the numbers as such, uh, you yeah, know, with, with people because it's not, it's not really so. You know, you don't stand around a barbecue and start talking the specific numbers.
2: <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, I once people, they listen to this show, they'll know. But, you know, but people
0: are pretty, uh, you know, pretty aware that we're we're doing okay.
2: Yeah, yeah. So going back to your your duplexes, Lloyd, you mentioned earlier. I know you you kind of have a unique strategy there. So what what exactly do you do? You buy it and then you subdivide it into two separate and sell them off.
0: Yeah. So we buy a block of land, and um, now uh, that that land may or may not have a house on it. Now, if it has a house on it, we may knock the house down uh and then we'll build a duplex uh, on that block. Uh, but essentially the duplex is built as as one title and what we do over here is we do what's called a strata title uh, which is essentially just um, dividing the property um, by name into two properties. So you might buy something that's say number number one equity street um, but then when you subdivide it, it's they've got their separate addresses, they've got 1A and 1B for example. And then they're valued each and you can sell them separately. And that's where you create the the profits. And the thing about that is you just need to make sure you're building them less, uh, building them for less than what you can sell them for. So, for example, if you can get a block of land and build a duplex for 600,000, but you know that each unit on the market will sell for 500,000, like each of them, then that's a million dollars there, but it's only cost you 600. Thousand to build, then you've got a uh, four hundred thousand um, dollar profit in there. Sort of using round numbers, so that's that's how they work, and uh, and that's the sort of strategy I've used to move my portfolio ahead, uh, you know, much quicker.
2: Yeah, it makes sense. So it's cheaper to just build it all as as one building, I guess, right? One building versus building two different single family homes. You just build one building, all the plumbing lines, everything goes the same. You just build it as two sa- two sides, basically, and then sell them off as separate separate properties. Yeah, that's
0: correct. It is it is cheaper to build that way, uh, and because you can build you're building one property and then selling it as two, you can make a profit. Whereas if you build if you build just one single dwelling house and then sell it. You're not really going to sell it for much profit because, uh, you know, you may sell it for a little bit depending on how much you build it for. But, uh, but really the duplex is where you're actually, you're building one property, but selling two. So you're just making, you're forcing some profit into that, that deal. And when you repeat that process over and over and you're, you're flipping the properties and some, some, sometimes you keep them obviously for cash flow and things like that, um, then yeah, that, that has a great benefit on your
2: portfolio. Sure. What about zoning? You ever run into zoning issues? Or I guess you probably just obviously buy where, where you're able to do that.
0: No zoning issues because I, I won't buy anywhere, uh, that I don't do the full due diligence on. So I'm very familiar on all the zoning with, um, you know, with all the council areas that we're, we're buying in. Uh, and when we, even when we look at a block of land, uh, you know, there's a lot of things on the land that we need to check out, make sure right. that there's no easements, uh, that are going to affect the building, uh, check the, uh, the, the, the slope of the land for stormwater and, and sewer. Uh, there's a lot of things we need to check off there. And, and we do all that before we buy the land so we don't run into any problems.
2: Hmm. Lloyd, how long did you stay as a, a teacher, and did you get a different job after that, or did you did you just quit your job? And and when did you decide to quit? How how much passive income did you have when you quit your full time job?
0: When I quit my uh, so uh, I was a teacher. Uh, I was probably a teacher for about you know fifteen years. So I was a teacher for quite a while, and I had quite a quite a large portfolio that I was building up during that time. Uh, but when I quit my teaching job, I probably had just over a hundred thousand in passive income. From property and my teaching income at the time, because over the years it, it grew a bit, uh, my teaching income was about a hundred thousand. So I essentially did um, what a lot of people try to do, was is I sim- simply just replaced my income through property. So my income was a hundred k, and then when I when I had a hundred k coming from property, that was enough for me to be able to retire from teaching and, and just move into um, doing what I love full time, which is property.
2: Yeah, so how did you know when, Lloyd? Because on one hand, one could say, Hey, I have this hundred thousand dollars in passive income coming from a property. If I just stay working for another couple of years, I'm making a hundred thousand dollars there. Should I just stay working for another year or two and build it up and then I can have a hundred and fifty in, in passive cash flow? Like when when did you know, hey, I'm stopping at a hundred, even though I could maybe build this faster if I kept doing both? Was it just too much on the property side that you couldn't do both? Or how did you know exactly when to leave?
0: Ah, uh, the main well, the main thing is that I knew exactly when to leave was when I had had enough of teaching and um, I felt that it was time for a change. And when you when you lose your passion for something, you should stop doing it. So for me, uh, I knew it was time that I didn't want to you know, be in that job anymore. Um, but I wasn't. Uh, my my mission was never to just. Leave and retire. Uh, you know, I always believe that you should be yeah, yeah, contributing to society and doing things. So I was never, never my mission to just leave and sit on you know passive income and sit on the beach and whatever. Uh, for me, it was about then starting my property business so I can then help other people replicate what I've done. So and that's essentially what I did. I, I stopped teaching uh, and then I, uh, you know, started my property business. Uh, which I essentially had already started the, just before I, I was still teaching actually, and I had started my property business, so I was, I was doing quite a lot of stuff um, all at the same time there for a while. Uh, but that, but that, that became my mission was was really helping people in, um, uh, yeah, trying to do what I do.
2: Yeah. So, what does that mean now? Are you are you investing with others or syndicating deals or what, what property business? Are You a broker? What do you mean?
0: Yeah. So I'm a I'm a buyer's agent. So uh, essentially, a, a property broker, I guess is another way of putting it, which is essentially. I help people find property deals and then manage that whole process for them, looking at what their goals are. So when I meet with people, I you know I sort of the first question is I ask them where they want to be in say ten years time, what their goals are, and then I find property deals um, that match up uh, to what they're trying to achieve uh, and set a roadmap on how they can get there. So if their goal is to say achieve 100k passive income uh, from real estate, then um, I'll set a strategy and a roadmap for them to be able to achieve that so they can understand how using property can actually help them uh, get there. And then uh, myself and my team then manage the you know the whole process from, from sourcing the properties, doing all the research, the property acquisition uh, and just managing everything there and building up people's portfolio so they can then enjoy that passive income and start to achieve their own goals.
2: Okay, so it's a little bit of coaching though on the side as well it sounds like. It
0: is, absolutely. It's very much uh, some coaching. And, and that's why I think that I've combined my two passions. So I've got education, because I've obviously been a teacher, I was always passionate about education. And I'm very passionate on property. So I've combined the two. So education and, and, and property in, in one. And I'm basically just educating people on property and helping them through property.
2: Yeah, what did, what did you teach later? And what age group did you teach when you were a teacher?
0: Uh, yes, yeah, so I was a music teacher and I, I taught kids from, from basically year three uh, through to the end of high school, so primary, uh, middle and high school.
2: Okay, so a music teacher turned real estate uh, investor here, right? That's the one. <laughs> so just to close out here, Lloyd, with some some questions that we uh, normally ask at the end, did you have any debt at all besides uh, on your real estate? Any Any school debt or car debt?
0: No, I don't. So in the past, I've I've had a couple of um, car loans, which uh, were paid off at the time. But these days, as I said earlier, I I just buy a car, you know, for cash and things like that because it's it's a depreciating depreciating asset. So I don't have any other debt other than what I have in in real estate, which I feel is good debt. Um, obviously for reasons mentioned before.
2: Yeah. What's the most expensive car you've ever purchased? Uh, I've got a Mercedes E two
0: hundred and fifty convertible at the moment. Uh, That's probably, uh, and I've got a BMW as well, but I think the the Mercedes is a slightly more expensive car.
2: Okay, what about meal out? You are you are you a foodie? Oh, sorry, what was that? What about eating out? Meal out, oh. most expensive meal out that you that you've paid for?
0: Yeah, we we um we go out quite a lot, so yeah, we we often go out and um, we might spend five hundred dollars on a meal, uh, on some of the uh, the three hat restaurants, um, which is the equivalent to a uh, michigan style restaurant. Uh, so uh, yeah, so we we love going and eating out, absolutely.
2: Okay. How old were you? Do you remember how old you were when you became a millionaire? Um, so I would have been it would have been
0: before I was forties, so probably that maybe thirty eight.
2: Okay. Late thirties, nice. Have you ever used a financial advisor? I haven't, actually. Um I generally
0: uh uh I- pretty much advised myself on, uh, on my finances, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm always a little bit skeptical on financial advisors. I know there's some good ones around, but uh, you do need to be careful about um, yeah, the ones that you get.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I, I think you mentioned everything's in real estate, right? Do you have any in, any investments in any stock market? I don't. No,
0: it's in real estate.
2: Okay. Any books or, or websites or anything that you recommend?
0: well i probably uh, there's probably a couple but i uh, you know i'd probably like to mention a book that i've recently written which is uh called positively Geared uh and that's uh just become an amazon bestseller and that is uh basically detailing the the journey of um of my life uh where i started uh, to where I am now and essentially a bit of a roadmap on how you can actually uh build a multi million dollar property portfolio uh so that's um yeah that's a book that's uh, i think would be a good read. Yeah, another book that I, I, I found some inspiration from was "Rich uh, Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, so t- tell us uh, your book. What's it called and, and where can people find it? Positively Geared, and, and it, it's available on uh, Amazon. And it just goes through your story?
0: Uh, yeah, so it goes, it goes through my story. Uh, we, we talk a lot about real estate and, the, and their strategy, so obviously I talk a lot about the duplexes and how you can make money on it. Uh, so it's, uh, but I guess at the end of the day, it's not just another Property book. Uh, it's it's more about uh, more about sort of my story and how I came from you know where I was to to where I am now and talk about how I how I made money through real estate, the different types of strategies, and also you know some of the mistakes I made along the way and what not to do because over over the years you you, you learn not what what not to do as well as what to do well and things like that.
2: Cool. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. So again, that's positively geared by by Lloyd Edge. So. Just a couple last questions here, Lloyd. I know we're running short on time. As a real estate investor, how, how do you decide how much cash to keep either now or you know previously, right? How did you know how much to build up before you bought the next deal and, and how much cash maybe as a percent – is there a metric you used, cash as a percentage of your net worth or a dollar amount? How much cash do you hold and how much did you hold?
0: Well, I um for me, I've, I've never really used the metric there, but I've always been very – Conscious to have a lot of cash, so I always like to have a lot of cash in the bank because uh, I think the cash is king. Uh, You know, if if anything else, if anything happens, then at least you've got some cash there. So I've always got a lot of cash, and the more properties you have, um, I think that you should have a buffer for each property. So you know, uh, you know, for me, uh, you know, that's I like to have sort of you know fifty thousand dollars per property, property just put away uh, just in case you know something happens, whether you don't you don't have tenants for a while or you you need repairs and stuff. So it's it's good to have that buffer there, Uh, and also. Uh, you know, paying down debt for me, uh, you know, my primary residence, which I, uh, which is a, a five million dollar house, which I'm, I'm currently paying off. Um, you know, I like to have a lot of cash to, to put into that and just pay that, that load down, um, as quickly as possible because it's, it's a non tax deductible debt.
2: Sure, sure. So just last question here, Lloyd, what advice do you give to somebody who's maybe looking to start in real estate, right? Because you've invested primarily in or really all in real estate or or what mistakes, you know, coupled with that, I guess, what mistakes did you make? Is there something that you wish you would have done differently?
0: Uh, I think the main thing is that people sh- should just make sure they get Educated and uh, seek a mentor. Make sure they get advice from someone who has done what they're trying to achieve. Uh, So for me, you know, I sort of got into to real estate. I, uh, you know, I sort of had a had a dream, but I, you know, bought the first property without advice, and then bought the next one without advice, and then maybe had a bit of bit of mentoring later on. But you really need to education is really really important. So, uh, so you really need to understand uh, exactly what you're doing and uh, investing in yourself is very important before you go and actually invest in, in the real estate itself.
2: Yeah. So just in closing here, Lloyd, if people want to get in contact with you, where can they find you? You mentioned the book, but I know you have a website as well, right?
0: Yeah, I've got a, a website, which is auspropertyprofessionals.com.au. Um, and yeah, very happy to, yeah, people leave an inquiry there. Uh, I've also got an email. People can contact me email as well, which is Lloyd at au and uh happy to uh yeah happy to have a chat with anybody
2: awesome awesome well thanks again lloyd from sydney net worth 10 to 20 million usd thanks again for coming on the show really appreciate it it's nighttime for us here but early morning for you i think right yeah absolutely it's not too early it's pretty good actually (laughs) well thanks again lloyd thanks
1: so much thank you thanks for listening to the millionaires unveiled podcast with clark sheffield and chase mantinson For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.